Blog Talk Radio. I'm Laura Mize, pediatric speech-language pathologist, and welcome to Teach Me to Talk, the podcast. I'm so excited that you joined me for today. I have a great topic. It's in response to a message or a comment or whatever we're calling that on my website, teachmetotalk.com now. A speech-language pathologist today sent me a question, and she said, what in the world do you do when you feel like you've done everything you know to do yet there's no progress. And so that's what our topic's going to be today. I think it's really important. And again, this is something that happens to everybody. Now, granted, as you work a little longer and get a few more kids under your belt and you really become comfortable with what your philosophy is and how you make decisions about treatment, those feelings don't come as often as they do or did when you're a younger or newer therapist. But it still happens, and we a way to really walk through what we do and a way to really streamline that process so that we understand where we should be and how we should feel and what we can do to move things along when we find ourselves in this situation. All right, but before we do all that, I don't want to skip announcements. First of all, let me talk about the upcoming fall conference schedule. We have four dates that are firmed up right now for presenting Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers to Conference. If you have not gotten your hands on that information, I promise it will change how you think about writing goals and doing treatment toddlers. It is a process that I have refined and worked on and lectured about now since 2012. I think that's when that book came out. But certainly something that I used even before then, and it was developed not in a classroom or in some other kind of ivory tower place. That whole approach really honed on living room floors all across Louisville, Kentucky, as I worked with my little friends in my uh, birth to three practice. So great information. And again, if you really struggle or if you just feel like occasionally I don't really know where to go with a kid, listen to today's show and get your hands on a copy of the book, Building Verbal Imitation in Toddlers, or come see me in person in one of these places. On Friday, September 12th, we'll be in Evansville, Indiana. On Friday, September 26th, in New Orleans. Yeah, Louisiana. Uh, Friday, October 3rd, Fort Wayne, Indiana. And then Friday, October 17th, San Marcos, Texas. We also are going to do... Day one and day two. Day one is early speech language development, taking theory to the floor, and then the follow-up, building verbal imitation and toddlers. We're going back to Chicago. Sold out the first two dates, which are this Thursday and Friday, July 31st and August 1st, 2014. That's sold out. And then we added a second set of dates, October 14th and October, I'm sorry, August 14th and August 15th. That sold out. And I've had about 20 more people call me since then begging for slots. And I can't give up an opportunity for that. So we're going back to Chicago November 20th and 21st. That's not on the Illinois Early Intervention site yet, but it will be soon. So save those dates if you didn't get to go to Chicago and you'd like to do that, or if you're from somewhere else in the country. That would be a fun little trip for you right there to start your holiday shopping. So uh, wanted to get those dates out there. That post is not up on um, teachmetotalk.com yet. You can't. Register for those, but it's my goal in the next 48 hours to get that posted if you're close to any of those places or if you just want to have a fun, fun time. And people do that all the time. Uh, We have this week uh, folks are coming into Chicago from all over the country for um, a fun, fun two days. So hopefully if you wanted to do that, you will get yourself in gear and make that work for you by the end of the year. All right. New therapy tip of the week was out last week. It was my second one uh, in my series on using blocks with toddlers. Let me just say, we have way more fun ideas than we can do with toddlers besides not to build a tower and knock them down. So if you need some new play routines or some new ways to think about what you could say or what you could do or what you could teach moms and dads or preschool teachers or daycare workers to do with blocks, 
tune into those therapy tip of the week videos. Now you can find those if you follow teachmetotalk.com's page on, on Facebook. You can always find the links there. You can go to teachmetotalk.com, the website, click on, let's see, it's changed now. Click on blog and then slide on down until you see therapy tip of the week videos or search therapy tip of the week videos and you can find them there or you could I think you could just put in blocks and search it that way and those videos would pop up. So I wanted to tell you about those. I also posted an oldie but goodie today on Teach Me to Talk's Facebook page for ideas for water and sand toys. If you haven't done any kind of incorporating different materials with your little friends in sessions, please do that. Even if you're in a program that really want you to bring your own toys anymore, you can teach moms how to do water play beyond the bathtub, beyond the swimming pool, uh, with using some of the tips that I outline in that therapy tip of the week. And if you've not seen that, take a look at that too and then get yourself some uh, of those materials or at least some of those ideas that you can share with parents. And those are fun, fun things. Water and sand are always a hit to toddlers. And if you feel stuck with it, one of the things we're talking about today, introducing novelty, introducing something, something you've never done before, that will bring a little friend back like magic. So take a look at um, that therapy tip of the week for some great ideas. Okay, let's talk about this um, process that I use when I feel like nothing is working. And again, this happens to everybody where you wake up in the middle of the night kind of thinking, oh, what am I going to do about that kid? Or you're driving to his or her house and you think, man, what, you know, I I'm at my wit's end here. We've done this. We've done that. Or you might be in the midst of the session, and you're sitting there racking your brain for what you're going to do. And, again, this happens to everyone. So what I did in 2008 is wrote an article about it. When I, that's the first year that TeachMeToTalk.com was launched. And since then, it's you know, so interesting to me to get to go back and read post that I wrote then because I always remember the child or the group or the situation that made me want to write this. And I love when I go back and read something and I think, man, I've kind of come a long way. I, I think a little bit differently about things now. So the post that we're going to be using as the outline for today's show, again, was from 2008. We're going to kind of walk through these steps. And you can go back and read that version, but I'm also going to kind of give you the new and improved recommendation that I would make. Life is, isn't it? It's about realizing, you know, that you move on. You try new things. You learn new things. You incorporate new ideas. And so that's what I hope this show can do for you, too, to really help you structure how you think about a kid when things don't seem to be moving along like you want to. And again, if you're a therapist, this is critical. You need to be applying your own methodology here. You need to have, have something that you, steps that you walk through that help guide you in your clinical decision-making process. And listen, this show is important for parents too. Nobody knows your kid like you do. Even though therapists are coming in or you're seeing specialists or whatever, hey, you are still the expert on your baby. And so you need to be thinking about these things too. If you have that icky feeling in the pit of your stomach after therapy or during therapy or before therapy or any kind of angst that you're feeling, these steps are important for you too so that you can have a way to think about that and move through that and if you're a mom, talk to your team about it. Um, so, again, I want to direct you to that post at teachmetotalk.com, and then we're going to walk through this process. And remember, this is the same advice I give myself or anybody else that asks me about that. And, and this whole show today is generated because the therapist said, Laura, how do you, what do you do? What do you do when you, don't, you think you're out of ideas? What, what next? So let's talk about that. First of all, critically analyze every single thing that you're doing. And again, for therapists, this is going to be particularly important for during the session. Session going, we're going to kind of walk through some of this. If you're a parent, you might 
think about this for you, not only in the session with your therapist, but what do you do between therapy sessions? What are you doing to direct your child's progress or, or help, help that your little sweet baby move along? So, again, it might be better for a therapist to think about it in the context of that weekly or, you know, bimonthly, however often you see a kid. But for parents, you need to think about it from session to session. So really, really look at everything you're doing. And the key word here is critically. It is hard for us sometimes to objectively analyze what we do, our own self. It is pretty easy to look at somebody else and point out their faults or their flaws. Don't you hate that when you find yourself being hypercritical of other people? I just hate that. It's even worse, though, well, some of us are hypercritical of ourselves, and we're not going to talk about that, because if you're that kind of person or that kind of personality, hey, you know how to do that on your own. I do not have to teach you how to do that, (laughs) because you already already analyze every little thing. I have a friend that I read last week on her Facebook that she said, am I the only person who lays in bed at night and analyzes every single conversation that I've had during the day? Now, I hope that you're not kind of to that point. But self-analysis is an important part of being a successful speech-line psychologist or early intervention professional. We should be really looking at what we do, what we've brought to the table, every single thing about us, only from not only what's written, what our goals might be, what activities we're choosing to address those goals, the recommendations that we're making to parents, our own techniques that we're using in therapy, you know, look at every single thing. And again, the key word here is objective. Sometimes it's really, really easy to kind of gloss over what we're doing. And as a therapist, we could, you know, I have therapists that I've coached in the past or, again, gotten, I've had the privilege of hearing from therapists from all over the world via teachmetotalk.com. And sometimes they'll write a book about, when they're sending me an email, about everything that's wrong with the child or the parent. And there's really very little evidence that any kind of self-analysis is going on. And they're not really starting with the real person that they can truly fix first. You know, a lot of times we're looking at, what we can do differently, how our little friends can change or what their parents can do differently without looking at what we are doing. So that's always the first thing. It's really a good objective self-analysis. And this, this is how I do it, and this is how I've told other people to do it too. And, again, I get so much practice with this now. It's almost like a But if you try to think about it as what would you do if you were called in as, a consultant on this particular case or, you know, if you have a blog or a Facebook page or if another therapist called you on the phone and said, this is what's happening with this kid, what would you recommend? Sometimes we can take a step back and think about a kid like that and then come up with something that we haven't tried before or or as we're kind of going through our, well, I would try this and I would try this and I would try that. We may again, discover, oh, my goodness, I can't believe I haven't thought about that. Or this piece of advice, I say, I tell other people to do these things, but I don't necessarily do them myself or or I've slacked back on that. A lot of times, for me, it's really kind of gauging my own affect, gauging how fun I've been. So looking at those kinds of personal things about myself, that's be a lot easier to change than anything else. So you really, really want to look at yourself to decide what have I done, what have I not done that I normally do, what are these other things that are kind of going on with me here, and and taking a step back there. Another thing therapists need to do is really look at our overall approach for a particular child. A lot of times we don't find success because we are not really matching our goals and our activities to the developmental age of the child or the developmental level. What does that mean? Well, (laughs) take a really kind of common situation. Let's say that you have a two-year-old on your caseload, and maybe they've only been on your caseload for a few weeks or a few months and can't really get a good read on this kid yet. 
he's still kind of new to you, and you're still it's unfolding how things are going, but you just don't feel like you've got a good read on him. A lot of times that happens because we've overestimated where the kid really is. And so if you're supposed to be working on words, which as a speech language pathologist, you know, we don't, we hardly get kids in early intervention that talk. We mostly are seeing late talkers, you know, the absence of words is what sparks the referral in the first place. And so a lot of times then we go straight to working on words. And then we have a kid who doesn't talk for weeks or months. And again, if this is you, if you're in this situation, I'm going to say exactly what I say to people, whether they email me, whether they ask it in a conference, whether it's, uh, you know, a mom who's coming to me and saying he's still not talking, my advice is always back up, back up, back up, meaning that we look at all the things that have to happen with a child before he or she is developmentally ready to talk. And so, again, if you've listened to the show more than a couple of times, you hear me talk about that hierarchy a lot. You know, kids have to be socially connected. So we would look at that piece with the social connection piece. Kids have to have met some cognitive prerequisites. They have to master those three uh, big milestones before or immediately while or during um, when words start to emerge. Children have to understand words before they say words, that receptive language piece. And again, there's so many, um, that whole levels of imitation piece. Walk first starting with imitating actions and then imitating some body movements, using signs, learning how to imitate uh, mouth movements and use some easier targets than single words. And so again, we back up and we look at at where a child is and we start there we don't start with the goal so backing up and looking at the developmental age of the child and we were using that example of a two-year-old who doesn't talk a lot of times developmentally those kids really are down more at that 12 month 15 month 18 month level and we need to think about a kid there we need to think about the kinds of toys for that child that a one-year-old versus a two-year-old. Now, again, some of you are thinking, there's no difference between a toy a girl would like and a two-year-old would like. Uh-huh. <laughs> yes, there is. There's going to be a, a, a pretend play is in it too, not so much in our one-year-old little friends. Toys that are more complex, lots and lots of pieces, are not going to be appropriate for our little guys who developmentally are 12 months, 15 months, even 18 months. So you really have to consider all of those things. If you have not been, if you have not specialized in early intervention, you say you've treated school-age children and you're just picking up a few birth to three kids, you know, you're moonlighting. That's great, but just know that the, the methods and the strategies and certainly the materials that you use with older children are not going to be appropriate for toddlers where they are developmentally. And so sometimes when therapists don't specialize in toddlers, they lose sight of that. They think, okay, I'm going to use this, you know, particular approach that really was designed for even a preschooler is not going to be appropriate for a toddler. So you really have to think about that. Um, we talked about looking at those, again, developmentally where a child is, and I have some great recommendations for especially that expressive piece with building verbal imitation in toddlers. And if you've never thought about that before, with backing a kid down from words to easier targets, there's a link in the article that I'll post about the podcast here at teachmetotalk.com and at Facebook. So be sure to check that out, the whole building verbal limitation and toddler's treatment approach and sequence. The next thing that you should do when you're critically analyzing everything is look at the external factors and circumstances. What do I mean by that? Sometimes we should just manipulate the schedule a little bit. And this is easier than done. Uh, back when I did home visits all day, every day, I got to the point that I really just scheduled geographically, meaning that I went to one part of 
Louisville on one day, and then the next day I was at another part of Louisville. And if and if you lived in a particular part of town, that was the therapy time that I could offer because that's how I did my scheduling. So sometimes in some therapists, especially if you live in an area where there are not very many speech language pathologists, or the person that you're using has developed a reputation, or the person you know is pretty good, it's pretty full. Or the person that you're using um, again has different scheduling constraints. You may not be able to do this as easily as some other people could do. But sometimes, just shifting a child from an afternoon session to a morning session, or vice versa, or something like mom works on Wednesday mornings, and you would maybe see the child on Wednesday afternoons when everything has been kind of a helter skelter day. It may not work. Sometimes you've seen a child at daycare because it's really convenient, but then you start to see them at home when mom or dad could work out to be their grandma or something, and, and it makes a dramatic difference. So look at all of those external things like time of day or like the environment. Would it be better if we shift, if we go to a different place, if we try something new? Sometimes it's as easy as even changing the space within a family's home that you work with a child. Maybe you've gotten in a rut. Maybe the child doesn't want to play with you as much in the den, or maybe you just feel like, you know, gosh, we've just got to mix this up a little bit. Go outside. Try something like that. You know, this week in Kentucky, it's the, it's July. It's July 28th, but the weather is beautiful. And if I had seen children at, for hundreds today, I know that I would have had some kids on the front porch or on the back deck or wherever because it's, it's just a gorgeous, gorgeous, gorgeous day. And that's important. And listen, moms need to see you be able to shift and see that it, it, your therapy techniques don't depend on <laughs> you being in one little spot in the, in the family's living room. Okay, they need to see these strategies all over. If a child has been outside when you arrive, step out there and play. You may really, really, really get some new ideas and some different results when you break out of that routine. Sometimes for our little friends, it's that we're not changing things up enough for that novelty factor to be there. And that's why I still think if you can get away with bringing your own toys, take some new toys in so that you can show mom, hey, look, look at this, look at what happened today when we had something that he had never seen before and he was excited and it was really, really fun for him. And it's good for moms to see that kind of thing. Uh, if you've played with the same old thing again that are his toys for weeks and weeks, Say to mom, hey, let's look at some different stuff here. You may take mom in the kitchen and teach her some things that she can do while she's cooking. You may do some of those little structured teaching things where you, you know, get some pipe cleaners and you talk about uh, some matching and sorting activities. Maybe you've not done anything like that before. Anything that would be new and different might really spice things up a little bit. If you've done something like books and puzzles and the child just hates it, don't do not do that for several weeks in a row. Get up and move. Find yourself some, some movement activities like balloons or like bubbles or like, again, go outside and kick a ball back and forth. The beach ball is so fun. It costs a buck. And, it, and if you don't want to feel badly about, you know, bringing it and then leaving it, uh, not leaving it, it's cheap. Give it to that family, and, and that, that then becomes that family's toy. They can keep that. So any little thing that you can think of that might shake things up a bit might be helpful. This happens a lot. A therapist will say, I just can't get a good read on the kid because he or she is so scared that mom is going to leave the room or so scared that, uh, you know, really, really clingy maybe. You might do some different things with that mom. Now, I always think moms are, it's, an import, it's as important to me for a mom to participate and be in therapy as it is a kid. I mean, I just do not do sessions without uh, parental participation, especially since I have a, a clinical setting with my office now. But I really, 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 when I have these little situations that I'm just establishing a relationship with a child, if I feel that whole separation piece is too big of a deal, I might say to mom, look, I still want you here. But I really want her to 
develop a rapport with me. Let's think of a way that's going to make it a lot easier for her. And this, again, doesn't mean that I'm sending mom away. I would never, ever, ever do that. But at the same time, you may have to do something to make it a little less likely that the child would sit in mom's lap and bury her head in mom's lap the whole time (laughs) rather than get things going with you. And you know how I feel about that, too. I have to see that strategies are going to work for a child. I really can't. I really don't feel comfortable when I'm seeing a child for one-on-one therapy, you know, whether I'm, the mom has brought the child to me locally or from all over the country. I still feel like it's important from, if the child is coming to me for me to know what works with him, and that means I actually have to play with him, and I actually have to implement the strategies and, and get some things going before I can teach mom how to do it. I have to see how the child works. So, Sometimes the therapist will say, well, it's not so important that I play with the kid anymore or do direct treatment anymore. It's going to coach the parents. Yeah, I get it, but until you know what works, I don't really see, I don't think you're being as productive as you can be. So when you have a kid like that, you need to really, really figure out a way to make yourself more fun and to make more likely that the child will um, want to play with you. Um, let's talk again about other things that we can do that really apply to us. Sometimes it's just as simple as changing our approach. You might, if you've done um, things that are very structured, in this situation you might pull back a little bit and, and be a little less structured or a little less rigid. You might do some of that where you just kind of set out a few toys and see what the child gravitates to and then do that. If you um, have done something, let's say, let's talk about goals. If you, say, have been working on the same goal for weeks and weeks and weeks and you're not seeing any movement there, sometimes you really need to increase the likelihood that that child gets to practice that skill, meaning let's, let's take, for example, the, the example in the post that I wrote. If you have been working on identifying body parts, and the only approach that you've talked to mom and dad about has been while they're doing diaper changing, where's your nose? And mom is saying, well, that's not really working. You need to make some new suggestions. So if you were going to do a goal white body part, you would say, well, mom, you can do that at bath time. You can do that at changing time. You, uh, we're going to gather some toys that we know that your child likes. We're going to point out noses on the baby doll and do body parts with the baby doll. We're going to get another kind of character that she likes, like Elmo. We're going to do it with that. We're going to get Dad to do it in addition to you doing it. And so again, you're you know you're going to play potato heads because that that toy naturally has opportunities for you to talk about those body parts. So again, you need to get really really creative so that you're not just working on that goal in really limited context. And sometimes it is just as simple as that, as, as the therapist thinking, man, I've got to, I've got to, this, this goal is valid. We certainly want to continue working on but I've got to come up with some new ways to target teaching the new information. Let's talk about this situation too. Sometimes, and I alluded to it before, those of us who have the personality that I do, where I called it in this article, Undiagnosed ADD, where you just can hardly be patient for anything, sometimes it's that you just haven't given your approaches enough time to work. And so for those, when that's happening, when you know, gosh, I am putting this unrealistic pressure on me here because this child really, really hasn't had enough time to progress, you know that it's just a personality thing about you and you know kind of a hyper warrior kind of person anyway. You just may need to fix that about you with saying, I know we're on the right track here. We're just going to give this a little bit more time. That's really reassuring to parents too. When you have, when you are, when you have a mom who's super worried and you're saying, look, we're doing all of these things right, and you name them. You say, we're doing a real play-based approach. I know that you're working with your child every single day. I know that you're implementing the strategies, and you might go through all of the things that you're doing. And and you say, I know we're on the right track. I can see little baby steps of improvement, and we're just going to hang in here, and we're just going to know that we know that we know this will work. 
and you reassure yourself and reassure mom then, and you take a step back and kind of breathe, right? (laughs) Sometimes it's that we're not noticing those small, little changes every week. And, again, that's what happens when we start working on goals that are too complex or we're, we're looking at our long-term goal rather than our short-term goal. And so sometimes we have to really, again, back up so that we're working on things that are easier and, and, and working at a level where a child really can be more successful. And this happens a lot with um, newer therapists where you just go in like gangbusters and you're and I, again I love the enthusiasm I think that's important and I love that as a therapist you would think I can make a difference this kid's gonna do great come on you know that that excitement and that eagerness sometimes really does push that momentum so that everybody gets rolling in the right direction and children really do make you know most of your children make excellent progress just because of your sheer personality that, again, you know that what you're doing is, is going, and you expect that the, that progress is going to happen. But sometimes that eagerness, you'll hit kid that really your, your standard kinds of things don't work, or maybe there's, it's such a complex situation that you really don't get enough time, or that you wrote the goal for something that's well beyond what a child could realistically accomplish. Or this happens in states, too, where parents write, you know, huge goals, like for a child who's at the six to nine months developmental level, of course that mom wants her child to talk, but that's not going to happen overnight because we know that the child just developmentally is not there yet. And so you need to pull it back a little bit and make your goals smaller and attainable, and you're looking for those incremental little changes and, and, and really focused on those kinds of goals rather than something that, again, is very, very lofty, that, that is a tad unrealistic. And that's not to say that you're not going to give up hope and that you're not going to keep pushing towards that ultimate goal, which is age-appropriate communication. You just know that it's going to take a little longer to get there. So you want to really, really make sure, too, that you're not, that your goals are written correctly and that realistically you are all, you, mom, dad, everybody that you're on the same page with how long these kinds of things are going to take. All right, so that was that whole critical analysis. Let's move on to some other things. I talked about this a little bit. Number two, check back in with yourself. Make sure that you are focused on what needs to be done. And sometimes when you've done this job for a while, or even if you've done it, you know, if you're relatively new, it's a tendency for some of us to kind of get on autopilot. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Meaning that you're just kind of, you're still there, you're still in therapy, but you're not really paying attention to session by session and kid by kid and week to week exactly what you should be doing. Sometimes therapists might call this burnout where you're just kind of going through the motions. That certainly is not going to move your little friends along, your little clients along. And let me just say, if you're a burned-out therapist, you're probably not listening to the show (laughs) because you probably don't want to think about work very much. It's when you're kind of on that cutting edge, when you're looking for new ideas and you're always looking for making yourself better. And, again, if you're listening to this, that probably is not your situation. But all of us, even those who, lo- who love our jobs, the thing that we are, and we know that this is the career that we're meant to do, and we, we jump up every day, or maybe not jump up, but we get up with purpose knowing I'm so grateful I get to do this, and this is one of the best jobs that anyone in this entire world could ever have, and I know that this is exactly where I'm supposed to be and exactly who I am, and I get to serve these kids and work with these families. Even when you feel like that, there are maybe external things that make you not quite as excited about going to work. You know, you're having problems with one of your kids or your marriage or, you know, any other illness in your family or you know, any kind of personal crisis, you know, a financial kind of thing, or just that you're so busy, you know, all three or four of your kids are doing three or four activities, and so you just feel 
very rushed and very hurried and very exhausted. And so those kinds of things can really kind of make you get on autopilot. And again, if you're really good at your job, you kind of know, well, I can just sort of show up and somehow this is going to fall into place. Sometimes it's us, but we just need to give ourselves a pep talk and say all those things that I said before, you know, I am really important to this family. Great job. This is what I was called to do. I know that I make a difference every single day. Sometimes it's just that inspirational piece that will get us back on track and really, really thinking. And then when we do that, new ideas come to us that maybe we haven't considered. Or you remember something that you did a while ago with a kid that you haven't tried with this particular kid. So anything that you can do to make sure that you are spending an appropriate amount of time planning what you should do for children will usually eliminate that autopilot kind of phone in the van, whatever. Now, sometimes there's times in your life that you just can't help it. You're getting married, so you're planning your wedding. You're, you know, seven and a half months pregnant, <laughs> and you have other kids at home, and you're really kind of thinking about all your personal life, and I get that. That happens to everybody. But if you can just give yourself a little mental check to get back in the game and, and focus and pay attention, sometimes that's going to push a kid beyond a, a plateau, too, because you've brought yourself back in focus. Let's talk about it from a parent perspective. This happens a lot. And, and again, I never blame a mom for whatever is going on with a child or, you know, I, you just can't go there. You, you know, you're not living in her shoes. You have no idea what it's really like to be in that situation. And if, and if that is you right now and you're, you kind of feel like, oh, my goodness, maybe my child is a little stuck right now because I'm not really doing all those things that I want to be able to do. Sometimes just looking at how can I make our life simpler, how can I just, <laughs> excuse me, really check back in so that I'm, again, in control of what's going on with, with my child's therapy and where we are and how we're making progress. Sometimes it's just a matter of, as a mom, recommitting and saying, I, you know, I've got this therapist or this team of therapists, but nobody else is this baby's mama. I am the mama here, <laughs> and I'm the one who drives this this boat, and I'm the one who has the most opportunity to make the most difference with this child. And it's it's just, again, picking yourself up and getting back in the game and getting excited about it and looking at what you can do every day to move your child along. And and if your therapist hasn't told you that, or maybe, maybe your therapist has said that to you, but you just haven't really heard it yet. And, again, if you're a mom listening to a podcast about with a toddler, that's probably not you, <laughs> but occasionally parents will tell me that they somehow stumble into the show or someone directs them to the website and then they, you know, spend a few hours clicking on links, listening, and then they get really excited about their child's potential and progress. And I love it when a parent tells me that. I hate when somebody says, you know, I've seen website and I've read and now I'm worried sick and I, I I hate I hate it for those parents because I don't want anything that I say or write to do anything beyond help a parent move toward what they want for their child. And so I don't like that whole guilt thing. I don't like the whole that that emotional upset of feeling worried or I haven't done enough or this is my fault. I'm not into that at all. And so if this is you, if you're, if you're listening to the show or, again, you've kind of stumbled into this by accident, let me just say, as a mom, you are your child's best hope. And so get in there, check back, and you really focus on what needs to be done. And I've had parents tell me this, too. They've said, my therapist is really kind of mediocre, but I just decided that I was going to work on this at home and that I was going to do everything I could at home between visits. And then I, I really started doing the stuff that you say on your website, not necessarily even what we're doing in therapy. And guess what? My child is getting better. 
So know that as a mom, you can make a huge difference. And I, I just always want to do everything I can to encourage that. All right, let's move on to the third thing that we should do when nothing has been working. We always check out and see what the experts recommend. We dig a little bit. We don't get stale in our approaches. So we really try to find new information. Now, again, all of us as speech-language pathologists and other early intervention specialists, developmental interventionists, developmental therapists, early um, early intervention, did I say one already, specialists, whatever, you teach your people. In most every state, there's a requirement for annual continuing education. And if you're a mom, it just means that every year, therapists have to go to so many courses or demonstrate in some way that they have extra classes to keep us current and keep us continually learning. And so if you have a kid that you've really been stuck with, I hope that you're using all of your resources to figure out what else you could try. And this is so much easier now than when I first started practice. I mean, you can Google anything and come up with maybe ideas that you haven't thought about or, or no. If you are new to early intervention and you, uh, again, are looking for different ways to treat to this very, this niche population, you know, not everybody can be a great, geriatric speech pathologist or pediatric speech pathologist or specialized in, you know, whatever area of our field. And that's great because that means there's room for all of us. But if you're new to early intervention, you really, really, really need to get yourself some specialized information for this niche population. So so do that. And again, it's easier. You know, we used to just rely on our grad school experiences and read some journals. And now even reading journals is so much easier than it was when you had to get a subscription and wait for the journal to come. And then when you had a problem, you had to really think, you know, when did I read about this in, in the, this particular journal? Let me get that back out and find it. We don't have to do that anymore. We have the Internet. We can readily search out new information. And now everything's not so academically written. So if you hate reading all of that scientific stuff, you don't have to do that anymore. You can take advantage of websites like mine and other people who have taken the time to write that. And there are so many good speech therapy blogs right now. So really dig in to that. If you're not sure where to find those, join some Facebook pages so that you can um, hook up with some different people who are recommending some different approaches and some different experts and some different people. So certainly um, get out there and figure out what other approaches there might be. You know, teach yourself something new. And I love it when I, when I find that. Now, some therapists I find get a little bit taken back when they realize, oh, my goodness, I didn't even know about this approach. Or, or you know, I graduated 25 years ago. I, this is brand new. I don't, I don't even know about that. Some parent recommended that to me or some other therapist. That's okay. And, again, that's why this job is so fun and so cool because we never get to the point that we know everything. There's always something new out there that we should be researching and finding out about and trying it, especially with children who don't seem to be making progress with what we already knew to do. If you're a parent and you're not quite sure what you should be reading or, or how to find out other information, again, your best source is your therapy team, your therapist. Ask her, what are some good books you would recommend that I read? Where are some websites that you would think I can read? Now, sometimes the therapist will say, the Internet will scare you to death. I don't want you to Google it. I don't want you to get out there. And I get that because I certainly, especially before I started TeachMeToTalk.com, would have parents tell me really outlandish things. Or I would get there and maybe be totally freaked out and scared to death, and I would say, what is wrong? And a mom would say something like, well, I haven't found the Internet. So I can see how a, parent, how a therapist might discourage a parent from trying to get information when she thinks that information is going to scare a mom or dad to death. But there are so many good, reputable, positive, inspiring websites and blogs for parents now that you really want to be able to provide some uh, recommendations when a parent would ask you. So as a parent, ask your therapist. If they're not 
able to give you anything, that's kind of a red flag in my opinion <laughs> because you want therapists who stay current and who stay cutting edge and who can give you some books or some uh, websites or, or another way to get information beyond what they can give you in real life. Here's number four. We should ask beyond our therapists, we should ask real people, not just experts, <laughs> The real people that we know for help, for ideas. So if you are a therapist and you don't have any friends that are therapists, you need to get out and make some. Now, you may say, I live in Podunk, wherever, and I'm the only game in town. Again, because of the connectivity of social media, you can make friends with anybody who's also on a particular site and be able to ask them, be able to get some information. Another thing that I did for years and years and years is when I would hear about a therapist who was really good, and again, this may not even be, usually it wasn't a speech pathologist, it was an occupational therapist or a physical therapist that had a really good reputation or say if it were about a specific child who wasn't making a lot of progress for me, but there was another more experienced therapist on the team or another therapist that mom is really talking good about, call them, say, on with this child or I can't get a read about uh, with this particular child for this. Don't be afraid to do that if you're a newer therapist. If you're an older therapist, let's not say older, a more seasoned therapist, <laughs> and you're feeling like, oh, I don't really want to do that, just let all that go. Make that phone call. Make Send that text because I think every therapist responds positively to, can I pick your brain for a minute about this kid? We like that. That's why we're in this field. We are all detectives and problem solvers. So it's really fun. If you happen upon a therapist who doesn't want to share information like that or who feels uncomfortable, don't take it personally. Just know that's more about her than it is about you and move on to some somebody else who could help you with that. If you are fresh out of grad school or new to early intervention, find yourself a mentor. Latch on to somebody who seems to know what she's doing and ask, ask, ask those questions. Again, that's one of my favorite things about teachmetotalk.com with the ability for, for parents and for therapists to ask me questions. Now, I get about 200 emails a day, and I certainly don't want this show to generate 200 more a day because I cannot always respond personally. But leaving a comment at teachmetotalk.com, then everybody can then uh, benefit from the response. So that's certainly something you can do. If you're a parent, you certainly can do a lot of things to befriend other parents who are going through really similar struggles with their own children. You don't know anybody in your in your town where you are. Ask your child's therapist about other uh, people who might have a child who, again, it's really similar to yours. Chances are your therapist is going to be able to make that connection for you. Or, you know, again, she may have to say, well, let me ask this mom if it's okay and all that confidentiality stuff. But you will be able to find somebody who can be your friend and who can listen to you and help you. And again, let me just encourage you to take advantage of that with social media. Facebook has a group for everything. On Twitter, you can use those hashtags and find parents all over the world, you know, with the hashtag like um, toddler with autism or speech light or language light or whatever, and spend some time on Twitter kind of cultivating what the tag should be that you would use for that. Um, so many blogs and websites have comments or, or the ability to ask a question or leave a reply. So take advantage of all that so you can really find other people who are in your situation who can advise you, who can help you, who can maybe generate new ideas or something. Even if, even if they're saying something that you don't think will work for you, sometimes that suggestion leads you to an even better idea. So get out there and Make some new friends as a professional. Make, establish some new professional relationships. I always tell therapists in conferences, no matter what your discipline is, you need one or two people of every other discipline, you know, in your contacts on your cell phone so that you can call them and say, hey, 
I had this kid who did blah, 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 blah. What would you do in that situation? What would you suggest? And again, you need more than one opinion about that. Sometimes we'll latch on to, you know, one particular friend and, and, you know, I want to encourage you to branch out a little bit so that you're getting good advice from lots of different people. And it's a nice way, too, to really establish a professional network, your own little community, so that you can ask questions and bounce things off of and all that. Years and years and years ago, gosh, I'm going to say this was like late 90s, early, this was late 90s, I went to a little group that these were some older, more experienced therapists, and a, a woman who was a physical therapist actually put that little group together where, you know, not every month, once every few months, we would go to a restaurant or someone's house or somewhere and just kind of talk about stuff. That was so much fun for me. And I, at first I was a little bit intimidated by that. And I thought, man, I can't believe I'm getting to sit here with these people that are a little bit famous in our in our city, and I'm getting to learn from them. And, and those conversations and those recommendations, they would say, have you read this book or have you read that book? You know, that's how I got really turned on to Stanley Greenspan when his, his first big book came out. It's because an OT said something about him, and, man, I was at the bookstore the next day, and, you know, this was the 90s. We didn't really, we had a computer at home, but it wasn't like it is now. But I was there buying that book, and I devoured that big book in one weekend because an OT that I liked and respected mentioned an author's name. That's what we should be doing. We should be developing own personal continuing education experiences like that. And, again, it's so much easier to do today. On the other hand, if you are listening to this show, you already know how to gather information. You're listening to this podcast, for heaven's sake, probably exercising or driving. Tell me that a lot. You know, I listen to you between kids to kind of keep myself pumped up. You're already that kind of go-to person. Help other people out. Make recommendations to other people. And, again, even when I was a newer, younger therapist, hey, I still had good advice to share, and I knew it. And so when somebody called me or if I met somebody at a meeting, you know, and you don't want to say, well, obviously you're going here and let me give you some ideas. You don't want to do that. But you do want to be able to share with people resources. I hope that you're sharing teachmetotalk.com with parents on your caseload and other therapists that you meet because, again, it's a great way to get information. You know, I hope you're telling your friends about the podcast and about uh, all the resources that we have here. And, again, if you are a person who's listening, especially if you listen week after week and you've been doing this for months or years, you're that person in your town. (laughs) You're that person that other people can come to for ideas. And so I hope you know that and you'll embrace your role as being able to make your little city better professionally. All right, last one. What's the last thing we do when nothing seems to be working with the child? Sometimes we have to move on. And again, let's talk about it from a parent perspective and from a therapist perspective. Sometimes a parent knows, you know, they may say, well, sometimes it's obvious a therapist or a team member is not a good fit. And hey, this doesn't just happen with therapists. How many hairdressers have you had over the years where You liked how she cut your hair for four or five years or how she colored you or whatever, and then all of a sudden you think, man, I'm in a rut. I need somebody else. That happens to all of us, okay? And, again, beyond uh, a speech therapist or an early interventionist role. So as a parent, don't feel badly about that. And sometimes I'll get emails that say, I really like her as a person, but, you know, just seeing any progress or I'm just not sure what to do. You know, I always tell people, give it your best try. And certainly, unless there's something huge going on, don't make those serial switches. You know, every two months you get somebody new. Don't do that. Really, you're not – it's a disservice to your child if you're not giving anybody enough time to get to know your child and get to know you and make some nice changes. Sometimes parents are in the situation, too, when there is nobody else. And so you really, you get who you get, and there's not much you can do about that. Um, And so you have to kind of dig in and make it work. And sometimes it's as much as, you know, or as simple as you just, as a parent, 
you know, saying, I'm going to start this really gentle conversation about, you know, I'm really unsure of where this is going. I'm, I'm feeling a little uncomfortable. I, I'm not sure that he's making as much can make. What else can we try? What else can we do? Hey, I've had parents say that kind of thing to me. A lot of times for the therapist, it's a relief that a mom is saying that and a mom is realizing that. Sometimes when a parent has said that, I've, I've said, gosh, that's what I've been you know, trying to keep out for weeks or, you know, a couple months here. I'm so glad we're on the same page. So you can certainly, as a mom, know that you can initiate these conversations about, can we try something else? I'm, I'm concerned here, okay? Sometimes the fit is just so, for whatever you've tried or whatever you've done, you know that now it's time for to move on. And, again, what happens to every therapist Um and as a mom, you might be feeling like, you know, embarrassed about that or reluctant to do it. You know your child better than anybody else. And you certainly know you and you know what's been going on. So if you find, if you can't make it work, move on and don't look back. And get some recommendations for some, you know, other team members who might be a better fit for your family. Now let's talk about it from a therapist's perspective. <laughs> Sometimes this is even more difficult. We're not going to talk about when parents decide to make a change from you because, again, that happens to everybody. I hope that it doesn't happen very often to you if you're a therapist. And if it is happening a lot, well, you're probably not listening to this show because you might be going out of your way to find a way to make things work better, right? But we know that that happens, you know, and when when it's been that uncomfortable position and, and been replaced, move on. Go on to the next kid, even more determined that you're going to make it work and you're going to you're going to do everything you can for that family. Sometimes it's the opposite. You know that you're not a good fit for that family. It might be your personality. It might be your philosophy, meaning that, you know, if it were me, I'm a real play-based person. Let's say I had a mom who was really into apps or, you know, really, really structured, rigid therapy approaches, and that's not going to be who I am. You know, I might say to mom, I don't think that I'm a good fit for y'all because I don't think that, you know, we believe very different things about children and about learning and about teaching. And so I want to help you move on so that you can find someone who is a better fit for you. Sometimes it's a skill set issue, meaning that um, you don't specialize in whatever a child's needs happen to be. Or, and you know somebody else in your community is better. And that's what I have loved about the early intervention system in Louisville. People really can kind of develop, craft their own niche. And so there are people that really specialize in feeding. And, you know, back in the early 90s, late 90s, early 2000s, I saw every kid, every reason. And then I sort of started trimming it down with, well, this person is great with that, and so I'm not really going to see Kit take that referral anymore because I know she's going to be a great match for that family because she's so interested in that and that's all she does. And, and you know, I just started gradually moving toward the kinds of kids that I felt like my skill set was a better match for. And uh, sometimes you don't have that luxury. But when you do, don't feel badly about it. Refer a family on. Say, I, you know, I want you to have the best and I think this person is going to be a better match for you. Sometimes instead of family situation is so crazy and you know that you can't be effective there. My schedule, especially when I first started speaking in 2010, and we did a lot of events that year. We did 15 conferences between August and December. And so I had the week there. <laughs> That's hardly any Thursday and Friday that I wasn't traveling, which meant that I just saw kids on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. I couldn't keep my all of my caseload, so I had to really make some decisions and really say, and that, oh my gosh, that just broke my heart. But there were some people that I knew that I absolutely could not fulfill their scheduling requirements or could not be as flexible as they needed me to be to work with their family and be successful. And you just know that you have to make those, you have to take that step and say, I'm not a good fit for you. And let me help you move on. Let me initiate the call with the service coordinator. Or let me call, let me give you some names of some people that I think that it would work better for you for. Guys, that's 
That is so much better than prematurely discharging a child and saying, you know, oh, you're done with speech. Good luck to you. Don't do that. Help them move on. Help them find somebody else. And, again, I'm preaching to the choir here because if you've taken the the time to listen to a show like that, I bet you already know that. You know, we know. We apologize profusely when that kind of situation happens, but we help a family move on to someone else who's a better fit for um, what's going on with them. So I hope that in today's show I've given you some things to think about when we get to that point when we think a child is stuck. Let's kind of recap here. We're going to critically analyze everything we're doing to make sure that we are leaving no stone uncovered. We're going to look at the environment. We're going to look at, you know, changing. Should we change location? Should we change time? What should we do with that? We're going to look at ourselves, make sure we're checking back in to make sure that we are focused on what needs to be done and we're not just trying to kind of get on autopilot and phone therapy in. We're going to really pay attention and really regroup there. Sometimes it's that we need new information, so we're going to check out what experts would say that we do. We might have to learn a whole new therapy approach and therapy technique, and that's okay. That's fine. You never should get to the point where you feel like you know everything and or you know, that there's nothing else new for you to learn. You probably need a new career if that's kind of the point that you're in. And, again, I, I don't think that would be the case if you're listening to this show. We also know that we have to develop professional relationships. And if you're a parent, relationships with other people to get some help and ideas. And that's here now that we have all of these social opportunities, um, websites like Facebook or Twitter or Instagram, anywhere else that you would want to develop some new friends and get some new perspectives. Lastly, when we're ready to move on, we move on. We make that decision. We don't. We we follow through, and then we don't look back, knowing that the next situation is going to be better. All right. So I hope I've given you some uh, some new ideas. I'll post the link to um, the show at TeachMeToTalk.com, and then again my social media site. Check me out on Facebook and Twitter. I'd love to have be a part of the conversation. Just teachmetotalk.com. Thanks so much. Have a great week. Talk to you next time. Bye-bye.